0: you work any length of the time you may come across a toxic situation and it is hard to be in especially when you've come from a good situation and you know what a positive healthy relationship with your supervisor looks like ask as many questions as you want see feel that energy between you and that person you'll be able to tell if someone's genuine it may take a supervisor or two but you'll be able to see it um, and not only will they care for you in the workspace they will care about you as a person
1: Hello, it's Marcy Bullock with season two of your favorite career readiness podcast. Learn tips on personal and professional development, hear inspiring stories of overcoming obstacles. I devote my life to helping other people figure out what to devote theirs to. This is Marcy Bullock with the most important five Ps stay present, trust the process, explore your path release the pressure valve, and unleash your potential. Hello, this is Marcy Bullock, and welcome to Wolfpack Career Chats. Our guest today is Passion Blake. Welcome, Passion. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Fine to be here with you all.
1: It's so exciting to have a special guest in class today and also to have someone who uh, has graduated from NC State and is out in the work okay. world because right? All of our students uh, are are hoping to be like you one day out there employed and doing something they're passionate about. And your name is Passion. So I know you're passionate. So tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, well,
0: first, thanks for having me. I appreciate everybody joining today. I remember these times being excited about hearing about other people's life out in the big world, as I call it. Um, And so again, my name is Passion Blake. I'm currently a program specialist with Lake Tech. Um, I really enjoy talking about the world of social work and the world of work because, you know, we've all been in your seat. Um, I have moved around quite a bit. I've lived in Japan and Virginia. I've probably moved eight times in the last 15 years. So I certainly know a little bit about um, moving into a new space, networking, and finding a new job, right, in a new community. So um, for me, it's interesting that I've been here almost a year and a half. I already feel like I should be getting ready to move. I'm not, but I already feel that way. So I'm just excited to be here and share with you all and uh, hear the questions that you have. And I'm ready to go.
1: Oh, I love your story. So you've lived in Okinawa, Japan, which sounds very exciting. Will you tell us a little bit about what brought you there and what that whole transition was like to leave the country, leave family? That sounds scary.
0: Sure. Um, It was exciting. I tell anybody you need to go live abroad at least once, Uh, whether it be six months. For me, it was three years. Um, and it definitely happened in, a, in an interesting space. Um, I was actually at NC State when I found out that my husband was being transitioned to Okinawa. So the choice is you go with him and go for three years or he goes without you and you could go for two years, right? So it was like, okay, well, I guess we're all moving. Um, I was in a very, um, I knew that we, move in a year, which we moved every two to three years due to his career. Um, And that was one of the reasons I chose social work, because I knew I could practice social work in all 50 states. Um, Didn't think about overseas, hadn't thought that far ahead and was really looking at, okay, now what am I going to do? So that's when I applied to uh, NC State to do grad school. I said, if I can do it in a year, I'll be done. And I graduated that May and I think we moved that September. It was also during the government shutdown. It was a very interesting time to end up on this island where most of the government offices were shut down. So you had to do a lot of self-learning. It was hard to leave your family. I had left the state before, um, but never the country to live. So it certainly was a space of not knowing, but excitement. And um, my mother was always she loved to travel. So she was like, you'll never go anywhere. We can't visit. Go live your life. Go live your best life. Leave here. There's nothing here for you. So she was really the one to kind of push us all out of the nest. And, um, and uh, it was exciting. It was scary. The people are incredible. The food is incredible. It's so clean. There's no trash on the streets. Um, it's so safe that kindergartners walk themselves to school. So, um, it's definitely a different space. Um, Things are still handmade. They pay attention to very small details that you typically don't see here. Um, But it was a great experience. Yeah.
1: Wow. What a way to lead your life just with that adventuresome spirit. And I love listening to your story because I could relate a bit to that. Um, I I oftentimes when people say, why did you move to North Carolina from California? I'll say, well, I was a captive spouse. But I say it jokingly because um, in our marriage, my husband and I also talked about are we equal partners? Is one career coming first? What is our agreement so that our expectations are in line? And at that stage, um, we were equal partners. And this was something that was very important for Team Bullock. So we moved 3,000 miles away, um, not as far as you moved. And then when it was time for him to finish grad school, I said, I love my job here. And I would like you to find a job here. And And so it's almost like this give and take with a partner. And I think for many students who are thinking about having a partner in their life, have you and your partner discussed those kinds of things?
0: Right. Right. Um, no, that's a great question. And if um, you know anything about military life, especially when you're talking about different branches, my husband's in the Marine Corps, um, and they always have that saying, the Corps comes first, right? We're just issued goods that's that people don't like, but you sometimes feel that way when orders come down, they're not really considering. It sounds nice to say, oh, they care about families. But in reality, that Marine belongs to them. And I remember when I first met my husband, people assumed that I knew about military life because I grew up in a military town, but I was a local. So I didn't really notice them. I just, they were my mother's coworkers and that was it. Um, So I didn't know much about the life and did not need their resources the way other people did because I was home. Um, And so when I met my husband, he was surprised that I had no idea about his life and about this work. Um, And we, you're right, there has to be discussions on what we're going to do as a partnership, because if you don't, you'll find that you'll There'll be friction over choices. And even though his career was the more demanding, we always discuss, how does this work um, for us? And he was always forward thinking that her life matters, right? This won't last forever. Um, this is just a small portion of our lives. So we did get some flack sometimes for some of the choices he made. They'd say, well, you want to go here because you can do this. You no, know, my wife is in school. Um, we're doing this, and they would be like, oh, no, you're, you're missing out. No, am not missing out. This is this is the decision. Um, so he was always happy to meet me in the middle, and like you and your husband, there have been um, some give and take over the years, but it's worked out, just like coming back here. Um, we always loved the area, and we said, well, if, if we ever get a chance to get back, we're going to move. Well, my husband has commuted for the last year and a half to Virginia. He works in Richmond. Um, but in order for us to settle and come back to where we felt like it was a great place for our family and our space, this is, this is the sacrifice of all those things.
1: Yeah. It's a sacrifice. And, and I like the way you described it, Passion, in that your, your partner sees you as important. You got to finish your graduate degree, mm-hmm. but we sometimes make compromises for people that we love. And, and that is a big decision to make. And if one person thinks like a Marine, like you said, that you got to move every couple of years, you know, what you're getting into and what you're signing up for. And if one person thinks their career is equal to the others, that's where you run into the friction and the conflicts. So I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that story that you told. And, uh, and the fact that, you know, you sound like you're in this wonderful, happy family now. So tell us more about the transition to the work world. And if you were surprised by anything or a little bit about what it's like, for you, moving from being a student to working in the world,
0: yeah, no, that's a great question, Marcy. You know, um, you can learn. You learn so much in your textbooks, right? <laughs> but when you get out there, it's like, wait, nobody told me this. Nobody explained this, or this is not how it worked in that book, or maybe even in an interview like this, you know, like and didn't mention that. Um, It was interesting, you know, my first real job was actually Okinawa. So it was a big transition move on top of a job. So um, one of the most important things is um, when we were moving, they said, well, don't apply for jobs yet. Wait till you get there because they won't hire you. You're here. Well, I'm not apt to listen to what I believe is not being supportive. So I just applied anyway. I was like, well, they can turn me down. That's fine. Um, and I applied and I got a job. I got a job the day we were getting on the plane. I got the call that I got a job to open a new office for a program called the Exceptional Family Members Program. And they needed a case manager to open on a different base, a smaller base, and the families need supporting there. And so I was excited about that. Um, I think it depends on what world you work in. Paperwork-wise, you'll get used to that. Um, I would say out in what we consider the civilian worlds, less paperwork. If you go work for the federal government, Have your patience together. It's a lot of paperwork, a lot of questions, a lot of back and forth. Um, And so we definitely did that. And again, I'm getting used to a new country and a new job all at the same time. um, Due to the government shutdown, I had to actually wait for about two months because of all the back and forth. Right. They couldn't get my computer because it was frozen. They couldn't open my office because it was frozen. So I had a couple of months to wait it out to try to settle and see what happens. Um, And it was definitely an interesting transition. You know, now the things you've talked about on your resume, I am responsible. I am focused. How do I find that focus in this new space? Um, And I definitely found that talking to my supervisor, you know, fingers crossed that you all get great supervisors because they make a world of difference. And then learning how to work with people that um, may not see you as an asset sometimes can be difficult i found that writing down questions reviewing our website kind of doing what i did in an interview process but now i'm a part of this system learning um pieces asking to come to meetings wanting to be involved showing interest helped me kind of settle into my position because i literally was just dropped in an office and was like tell the community who you are right and so i had to learn how to um, talk with japanese locals and the families on our bases. And I also took care of families that were not local, where they had a medical condition, they may not have been able to come with the service member. So some of my families might have been in Tennessee, um, or in other countries, I had some in Australia. So really learning how to communicate in a different way, not face to face some of those times. So I hope that answers your question.
1: It really does. And I love the point you made, I wanted to dive into this idea of who your supervisor is really matters. I know sometimes when students are thinking about their first job, they don't realize that they're going to be spending more waking hours with their boss and their coworkers and their loved ones. And it's really important that you are not in a toxic atmosphere. So what would be some of your thoughts about trying to make that decision about who you work for? Can you ask any questions in the interview and how did you approach that?
0: I definitely ask questions in your interview. I, there's never been an interview I've been in and not asked questions. It will give you a glimpse into who they are, right? Um, how they view their organization, how they view their employees. And you're right, Marcy. Um, if you work any length of time, you may come across a toxic situation and it is hard to be in, especially when you've come from a good situation and you know what a positive, healthy relationship with your supervisor looks like ask as many questions as you want. See, feel that energy between you and that person. You'll be able to tell if someone's genuine. It may take a supervisor or two, but you'll be able to see it um, and not only will they care for you in the workspace, they care about you as a person, right? They care that if your child was sick, they'll care if you didn't look your hat self yourself today in a meeting. Uh, you know, they'll ask about that. They'll make sure my supervisor always says, are you doing your self-care? Are you doing this? Are you sleeping at night? You know, just care about you as a human being. It doesn't mean you have to share your whole personal life with them, but they will care about you as a human being because how you're feeling projects into your work. So I certainly would have those conversations and hope that you all end up with supervisors that care
1: about you as a whole being. I agree with you. I think sometimes it's intimidating to feel like you have power in the interview, but you're also deciding, do I want to work here? And no one wants to be miserable. And I have personally been in situations where a supervisor was toxic and it was very, Unpleasant, but these things make you stronger when you go through a struggle. One hundred percent. And what you said about how important it is that they care about you as a human. Yeah, we're humans at work. We're humans in our personal life. So, um, so thank you for bringing that up. So we actually have some great questions from our students who are live in class today. So I am going to turn over to um, Sari first and let her unmute and ask her question. Um, I was wondering what, like, I know what social work is, but can you explain more about, like, what you do with that? And then what type of other careers can you do with social
0: work? Sure. Um, I think that's that's a great question. Um, you know, people, don't let anybody put you in a box. Let me just say that. People try to do that me to say, oh, don't you work at DSS? Don't you do this? That's a fabulous career and that's a lot of hard work and it takes some really special people to work in that space. That was not my space. Um, the great thing about social work is we can go anywhere. You just gotta get the rest of the world on board um, to know that. And um, I started out obviously in case management and it was very structured, right? Every time somebody popped their head in my door, i had to write that down or make a note um i knew that wasn't the world for me um whereas the work i'm in currently it's a lot less structured i'm just able to be there as long as we get it done as long as we get to point b we're okay um so i have friends that work in research i have some friends that work in hospitals um some of them work are in advocacy work and policy work work for the government. A lot of them work in nonprofits. So there's a lot of different spaces you can go in. Just don't let anybody close you off because people told me, well, how are you going to work in higher ed? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And I mean, I even had mentors say that to me. And I knew where I was supposed to be. I just had to figure out how to get there. So don't be afraid to take a job outside your major. It's something you really think you want to do. And that's what I did. I taught adult ed for a while um, and loved it and helped myself. In my internships, I was the first person in both my internships in undergrad and grad school. Um, and not only open doors for the people coming behind you, but you're opening doors for yourself to figure out where you want to be. So I hope that answers your question.
1: Thank you. I I like that you definitely talked about how you're not limited by your major. And I think that I echo that idea that when you pick something to study, you're not in a box. And a lot of our students are working on informational interviews now. So they're actually talking to a professional in the field that they want to enter and they're learning about the day-to-day responsibilities. So next up, we have Caroline with a question. Hey, Passion. Um,
0: I was wondering what may have been your favorite project to work on and what you found about it the most fulfilling and may have it um, pulled in different passions outside of social work? That's a great question. Um, and do you want to know about current or past? Either one. Okay. Uh, let me think. Wow, so many really good <laughs> projects. Um, I will probably say one of my favorite ones was starting a support group. Um, again, when I worked for federal government, we had families that were had children or adults that may be experiencing some type of special needs that we needed to make sure they had those resources near where they were going to live. Hence why sometimes the families had to stay behind, unfortunately. Um, And so we were having events and nobody was coming. And I was actually an intern. And this is one of the beautiful things about being the first intern, right? Your supervisor doesn't know. So they're just like, I remember my supervisor saying, what do you want to learn? I said, I want to learn everything. She said, okay. So she really just let me like create my own space. So creating, I created a support group for the families, and they started coming to events, right? So that kind of personalization, giving them some power back to say, what do you, what can we do for you? And it went on at least five years after I left. And I think that was really special because you saw them getting what they needed, getting that time together because they weren't seeing each other, right? If you're dealing with an autistic child, you don't want to come to a movie night because if they start to cry, everybody's looking at you like, what is wrong with that kid? Not realizing that there's more, what you're seeing. So we were able to create those events, have group sessions and be able to support them. And that's probably one of my favorite projects. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome.
1: Yes, that's a great story. And we can see just the excitement in you that you light up when you talk about this work you do. And it makes such a difference. I know some students are feeling the pull between money and meaning, the two Ms. And I think James has a question along those lines.
0: Hi. So I was wondering, well, I need to get a master's in social work or even a PhD in social work if I want to make decent money. Well, James, you know I don't know if many of us will be going to the Millionaires Club, but uh, I do have friends. I have friends that are making six figures. James, just depends on what you're doing and what you decide. And certainly, you have to be able to take care of yourself, right? It's not getting any cheaper. I remember we first came back here, and I was like, "My goodness, what is going on? It's grown up so much." And um, you certainly, you certainly could take care of yourself. I think at the bachelor's level, um, if I think. If you chose to get out there and work, I've seen people go out there anywhere from I've seen it as low as 25 to 45 to 50 on the lower end. And then when you're talking about getting a master's degree in social work, you could I've seen people go into the six figures, 60, depending on if you go into private practice. Now, you've just got to get there. So you've got to be strategic on how you decide how to get there, because remember, we've got 3000 hours tests and all these things that we want to make sure we get done. Um, PhD world, when you get into that in social work, that's going into research and teaching, so if you want to be a therapist, you'd be fine at the master's level, as long as you get your licensure, and as long as you um, take your other credentials, right? You want to get other specialties, other classes that you want to add to it, but you could definitely make a good living. Um, I think a lot of people like private practice because it's flexible. I've got a few friends starting private practices this year, um, and that's exciting work. It's hard work, but it is flexible and you could make a really good living. So PhD is not absolutely necessary. Again, that's more research. If you want to go back into teaching, you could be an adjunct at the master's level um, once you get your license.
1: That is a wonderful answer, because you said so much in that about, again, tying back what's important to you. And of course, we all need to put food on the table. And you got back to the values of, you know, what's important. Our students have done a lot of work on values in that arena. For example, if you're a therapist, you're clearly making big differences in people's lives. And it's so meaningful to, to many people. And I know some people that are a therapist, they might choose to follow psychology, um, to get their uh, their PhD in that area, or they might decide mm-hmm. to go into counseling. And it's great that you yeah. brought up social workers are also therapists. There's so many different angles. Yeah.
0: And you definitely want to look into it. I, I chose that oh, again over the LPC route, because that was my other choice, because I could be licensed in all 50 states and have a private practice. So you definitely want to look at that you know social worker is an older profession so you'll see more but some people feel like LPC is a better route for them if they're trying to do certain things and you absolutely want to turn back to your passion yes you have to eat but you don't want to go to work every day and it might not happen for your first job you got to get out there and figure it out so like I said for me I knew full-time case management was not I was like no I think I want to be with people but I don't know if I want to I have to take notes all day just all day long just took away from my time with the people, right? Like, hold on, I have to note that. Um, and some of my friends, they live for that. Um, but you do, you know, I never feel like I'm working. I always right now feel like I'm just supporting someone. So I hope you all get to that space where you just love what you do. Um, and, mo- and money will come, it will come. Obviously, we want you to be able to eat, you want to keep a roof over your head, but it will come and people will see your value and what you love to do.
1: I'm glad that James had the courage to ask that because I know some people feel like they're getting judged if they focus on money and it's everyone's own value system. And Passion, can you just uh, give our listeners the definition of LPC, please?
0: So an LPC is a licensed practical counselor. So you would see that if you went maybe to undergrad for psychology and a master's in like mental health counseling or educational counseling. And so you'd be able to get a license in an LPC as long as you went to a uh, accredited program. So that would be that route. Always make sure your programs are accredited. (laughs) Yes, yes. Thank
1: you. Thank you for clarifying that. Because like you said, social work has just got so much history and tradition. And so talk to people. Obviously, you're biased. You're a social worker. You think that's amazing. And I I think it's amazing, too. But as students, that's your job. You're the consumer trying to figure out how do I get to where I want to be? And what avenue will get me to my goal. So you want to talk to lots of different people, which you've already started doing in my class. And so I'm, I'm really proud of you. All right. We're already at the time machine question. Ooh, our time went fast. So we're zooming into the year 2040. Passion, what advice would you as the 2040 Passion Blake give to your current self in 2020?
0: Ooh, it's a long time for now. Uh, let's see. I probably would tell myself, take the risk. Take the risk. Take all the small jobs. You don't know what they they'll turn into.
1: And don't ever burn bridges. Yeah. Wow. Two gems were dropped right there. Take a risk and do not burn a bridge. Thank you, Passion Blake. Absolutely.